0: Hey everyone, thanks for listening to PDX Executive Podcast. Uh, Great to be back, I'm excited to have my next guest, Bertone Vastier, who's a winemaker at Abbey Creek Vineyard. Welcome, and I know I mispronounced your name, so I'd love for you to correct me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, my government name is (laughs) Bertone Faustin, it's French, Um, it's funny because so many people think it's Italian, so they go Bertoni.
0: Right, um, <laughs>
1: and <it's> wrong emphasis. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay, well, yeah. well hey, thanks for you know coming on. I know this is interesting times for the wine industry, just the world. But you know, I wanted to have you on for several reasons. First, I, I love wine. <laughs> I live here in Portland, but I, I think your story uh, is is super valuable and it needs to get told. So I would love for you just to. Kind of start a little background about yourself and leading up to the origin of, you know, you starting your your winery.
1: Right on. So um, I'm originally from New York City, born and raised. Um, my family's from Haiti, so I'm first generation Haitian American. And um, kind of everyone always asks, you know, well, well, how'd you get to Oregon? You know, that's how it began. But um, I went to school, Florida, North Carolina. And in 99, I was like, you know what? I want to go west. I'm going to Cali, you know. Yeah. That that was the uh, the plan in mind. I had nowhere, no idea where in California. You know, yeah. you're on one coast. Yeah. California.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But um, I ended up getting a job in Oregon um, at OHSU. I used okay. to work for anesthesiology mm. as an anesthesi technician, and I figured, you know what, I'd come out here, work my way down, you know, to Cali. Mm-hmm. But uh, ended up meeting my wife and started a family, so. That's kind of how Oregon became my my home.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, it was, again, growing up in New York, you think, you know, you know we called it Oregon back yeah. then, you know. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just think everybody's riding horses and, you know, <laughs> kind of the, the Wild West. Yeah. Um, uh, but no, Oregon, I mean, it was a, a great to be place to be. Mm-hmm. be. Um, and kind of, I mean, for me, especially being a immigrant background and from New York, I can kind of live anywhere, you know, yeah. at the end so that was pretty easy um but what most people don't realize about my background again people that know me now they think that oh you came to Oregon because of the wine scene right um really uh actually my story started with tragedy you know as opposed to uh you know uh being a, a wine drinker and into the industry but in 2007 my father passed and uh, outside of the feelings of you know trying to uh Uh, reassess your life and happiness. Also, um, I had feelings of guilt as if um, I wasn't living up to that immigrant hustle legacy. Mm. When my parents and my siblings came to the States in 69, didn't speak the language, didn't have a degree, but needed to be successful because of those challenges. Um, White folks would call them boat people. Mm. You know, Americans called them Uncle Tom, but even his fellow Haitians, they shunned them because they thought, he made it and wasn't giving back, you know, so a long time ago, my dad decided to own who he was, you know, at the end of the day. Um, I, I joke, uh, he used to do yoga before it was cool, you know, <laughs> everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I just had these overall feelings of, you know, not being able to, or not living up to that. I felt I was living life safe. Yeah. Um, hmm. I quit my day job. Hmm. Uh, and. Uh, and kind of the opportunity part from this thing is the uh, property that I bought from my in-laws at the time that happened to have five acres of grapes on it for a farm defer. Um, I don't know if you're aware, you know, out here, in order to get a tax break, you call it right. a farm.
0: Right, That's right. something. And I, yeah.
1: I, I know there's more one chicken farms than anything out here.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, yeah. And, and not to interrupt you, but so was no, it no. The, the intention to like – hey, I wanted to kind of start something new. I'm gonna do, you know, I'm getting this land, I'm just gonna figure something out or was wine in the plan already or what What, what was that like?
1: Oh no, wine wasn't in the plan. It was more of this, you know what? Why not throw caution to the wind? Yeah. You know, think about what my dad did in 69, coming to the States. Um, it wasn't about living life safe. You know, people always ask, well, well, how? You know, you had no choice but to be successful, you know, kind of things. And that's what was kind of, you know, throw caution to the wind. Uh, I talk about, you know, people talk about this leap of faith, but I talk about a leap of passion, you know, uh, and just jumping out there and, and just doing it. It doesn't matter if it made sense. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, so mine was never, I didn't even drink. I was a wannabe athlete all my life. So um, <laughs> the property just happened to have grapes on there, okay. about five acres. Um my plan B was I was gonna make raisins if it didn't work. (laughs) You know. That's just how detached from the idea of wine I was, you
0: know. Yeah
1: um because I was like, well shit, I've got grapes. Yeah. You know, figure something out, you know. (laughs) Um uh everyone asked, you know, well, how'd you learn how to make wine? Uh for me I went to Shemecada, they have a a wine program down there. Right. Um it's program, but I only lasted three months. Okay. Um, i was always been allergic to school from day
0: one. <laughs> you and me both.
1: <laughs> I, I'm a hands-on, just jump in there. I, I figured, I've got grapes, I can figure this thing out. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day. So essentially, that's how it began. Um, I didn't plan on year two. Mm. I was doing me. I was being selfish, just trying to, trying to be happy, you know, at the end of the day, or at least in my eyes, you know, live up to my father's legacy, my parents, you know, et cetera.
0: But, you know. Yeah. And so, as you know, uh, the wine industry here, it's small, but it be, can be kind of insular, right? So you're kind of oh, yeah. this outsider doing your own thing. Did you start getting to know the other winemakers or, or not yet? Or what? what was that like just? Get, trying to get in the industry or, or did you not care about that? I'm just curious.
1: Well, no, initially I was trying to fit in, hmm. you know, I, I knew some industry folks or so met some industry folks, you know, doing it. initially I couldn't make wine on site. I still can't make wine at my house. Uh-huh. You know, um, I don't know who's going to see this, but there may have been some bootleg <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: practice. It was home wine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But um, because of zoning, so my vineyard's actually in the West Hills of Portland. And um, because of zoning, I can't physically make wine on site. We dealt with the county multiple years. And after about two or three years, we finally decided to um, buy a brick and mortar to do our own thing. But actually, I I thought I had to follow the status quo. Um, It just never sat right with me. Because uh, I know you love wine, and I'm not sure how in depth into the industry you are, but on paper, it doesn't make any
0: sense, right? Yeah,
1: literally, the industry model is in order to make a small fortune, you start with a large one, <laughs> <laughs> and and people yeah. are still starting wineries, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know? and that and yeah. I
0: do, I don't know that much about it, but I do know that that's the case. You have some people who just from wherever, other parts of the country, have all this money, just buy these vineyards. But then you have these yeah. people who, that, that is really their passion and, and they don't, they just do it.
1: Well, no, indeed. And I mean, again, I, I, I always really fall back to my my Brooklyn uh, sort of way of life. If it don't make dollars, it don't make sense. Yeah. Uh, so early on, that whole idea of the distribution and grocery stores and et cetera, um, didn't sit well with me. I attempted, you know, you would go to a wine shop and you sing and dance and okay, they buy three bottles okay. and then you go to this one and sing it. And it's not like they're buying them at retail. They're buying them at a wholesale, yeah. you know, on top of that. So, um, I figured out that, you know what, I need to be direct to customer. I needed to get a brick and mortar, you know, for one. Um, and also it started to build those feelings of, um, At the end of the day, a distributor doesn't care about me. You know, I I don't care how many try to court you. And they don't. It's all about dollars. It's all about the bottom dollar because he's got to get his cut. The store has to get their cut, et cetera. Um, And it was about control. I did not want anyone to control me. Again, this started with me deciding to be free,
0: you know, this
1: freedom. I wanted to be able to leave this whenever, you know, I, I felt so, yeah. you know, and that's really, again, I mean, and I'll call it selfish, but I was trying to live for me, you know, at the end of the day. Um, still didn't expect it to be, I mean, this is year 13.
0: Yeah, wow. You know? yeah. Um,
1: and I'm sure we'll get to it, but on, yes, I'm Oregon's first black winemaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, that wasn't the intent either. Um, I knew that from day one, but um, insecurities made me not want to accept that. I didn't want to be your trailblazer mm-hmm. because I didn't see my failures, my faults, et cetera. I was still, again, living selfishly, I, was, I should say. Mm-hmm. You know, but um, 2015 is when things sort of took a shift, you know, after that, um, again, like I said, we've got our own brick and mortar. It's been about seven years. I'm doing okay. You know, we're, we're selling wine my way. Yeah. Um, I accepted that everyone wasn't going to be my customer. It allowed me the freedom to do me and to be myself. Um, we're the hip hop winery of the Northwest. That's how we lead
0: with. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I, I love that. And I mean, that spirit, you know, independent spirit, it's a different industry, but I feel like it's kind of ingrained here a little bit for people who are starting different types of businesses. Um, so, I don't know if you feel that that same way. Oh, no. I tell yeah. people all the time, if, if you got a startup,
1: come to Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> Place to start. I don't care how crazy it sounds. Yeah. You know, the maker market, right? You know, people mm-hmm. are, are making and invest, angel investing and funding for the, the craziest ideas. Mm-hmm. I, I know I like, uh, Mitch Doherty, built Oregon yeah. um did some stuff together there's a woman who was making dog collars out of reused
0: inner tube tires okay
1: and and, and 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 like that's her full time right you yeah know?
0: i love that yeah i just had mentioned yeah i said just had mentioned yeah, on the podcast last week and what their team does is is awesome how they support businesses so well i want to yeah, talk about no. yeah go ahead I'm sorry
1: no, go ahead, bro. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, you know, the direct to consumer model that you just kind of you started before it was kind of cool, I guess, because now you hear like, mm-hmm. yeah, we're direct to consumer brand. Do you feel now, based on the t- you know this, we're in the middle of this coronavirus, um, you know, pandemic going on? Do you feel there's going to be a second wave of that, or how have you, since you already set your business up that way, has it helped you during this time instead of having to scramble, you know, to change or? Uh,
1: and it's made me recession and crisis-proof. And the reason why I feel that, um, since you love wineries, I'm sure you get all the emails. I'm sure you notice once Corona and stay-at-home start hitting, all of a sudden you're getting flooded with the messages of, we really care about you. And <laughs> yep. hey, we got a discount. And uh, I didn't do anything. <laughs> you know, yep. my whole 13 years, I spent my time cultivating relationships and taking care of my base. Um, I don't sell stuff. I don't sell wine, you know, we don't just sell wine. Right. You know, I sell love, magic, and moments. You know, and building our base, um, your base takes care of you, yeah. you know? And that DTC model is what kept me from having to, all of a sudden, try to flood the market with discounts and free shipping and all of these other things because again, um, those are just consumers. Yeah, you know, it's a big race to who has the better deal, um, and you and you can't sustain that. And if you didn't build that one-on-one relationship with folks, you know, which started off with being transparent and true, yeah. you know, um, it it would be tough. I mean, so again, a lot of these businesses need to change, you know, their model due to this,
0: you know, sort of. Thing. It's. I mean, that's amazing advice, and I think it's awesome that you were set up that way and you have that relationship with customers. Cause I am, I'm getting flooded with emails from all different kinds of custom uh, companies. And it's just kind of like, where were you before? <laughs> you know, trying to care. Exactly. So.
1: And then, and I'm not trying to say, you know, they didn't care about you before yeah. uh, ever instead of, you know, send me that I love you letter every quarter, not every crisis. Right. You know, pest <laughs> control company did the same thing, you know, yeah. um, But again, and and for me, it goes back to being the brand. Wine is not my brand. I am the brand. I am the face of the industry. Again, go to all of these, and not just wine, but any website. What are they showing you? A product. Everyone is only hiding behind this one product. And I think in the the new age that we live in, uh, I know people talk about millennials and give them crap they're the ones changing the world and they buy with emotion and feeling and not just because uh, they're intentional buyers, right? You know, I think um, the character of the business matters at the end of the day, you know, and the yeah. only way you'll know the character of the business is by knowing the people, you know, and the people behind the business need to be the brand. You
0: know? Well, and to that point, and I haven't watched the whole thing, but I know, you know, you teamed up with friends who are filmmakers, to create a documentary.
1: Correct. And mm-hmm. to tell your story.
0: Yeah, and tell, I mean, to really own it. So could you talk about that and how that came about? And
1: Yeah, so 2015, you know, we've got our brick and mortar. And, you know, now we're getting more and more customers coming through. Um, people would come in and, of course, the conversation goes through, well, so who's the winemaker? And I would say me, and all of a sudden you get to the, the look. Well, you don't have a vineyard, do you? Yeah, I've, I've got 50 acres, actually, in the West Hills of Portland. And uh, then it would turn into, Waha. Well, and now, I, I won't blame COVID for all the gray in my beard, but uh, <laughs> I've, I've, I've been gray for a while, so I'm old enough to to have a winery, a vineyard, etc. Um, but it was because the industry said I didn't look the part. And it's not necessarily, again, the individual's fault. Uh, as a whole, the industry paints the picture of what, a winemaker is supposed to look like. Right. And, um, well, the first thing I did, because I'm a rebel, um, I started wearing overalls everywhere I went, you know, Um, because I was like, no, I'm a wine farmer, you know, and I was going to be intentional about, and um, I wear them with the black tie events. You know, I have my dress overalls where (laughs) I wear my button and the tie, (laughs) and I would love it because you'd get, you know, everybody in their little, you know, tuxedos, and the guy would come up. Okay, why are you in overalls? Oh, so now I get to talk about diversity, inclusion, representation without it being you know, because they're trying to find out, how I had to wear this tuxedo and you here, you know, yeah. with the overalls. So yeah. I turned into, you know, cohort in Oregon. And, yeah. and everybody understood that. And I was able to now have the messaging and using the overalls, you know, as my tool to do that. Right. Um, and we coupled that with the documentary. I knew no one wasn't gonna, was not gonna tell my story. So I decided, you know what, I'm gonna have to do it myself. Uh, so I found, you know, Jerry Bell Jr. Um, he's a, a local filmmaker. Um, and then I decided, yes, my story is great, but if we added more people, we can go ahead and make this a, a whole encompassing. So women, GBTQ, um, Jesus Guillen was Oregon's first Mexican winemaker, which, which is ridiculous yeah. if you think about the Hispanic-Latino culture in farming and vineyards. You know, Remy, who is a woman and a lesbian, she still gets asked, does her husband make the wine? Mm. You know? And it's because people are lazy. They let tradition um, guide them. Uh, I call it, we call it, we started calling it toxic nostalgia, you know, because people would, well, traditionally, this, 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 that. And, nah, we can't just live that way yeah. oh, at the, end of the day. And it's great that I'm the first, but it's more important that I'm not the last. You know, and that's why putting the documentary out, talking about, you know, um, if you want to just go and drink wine and not have deep social conversations, there's plenty of places for that. Mm. You know, at the, at the Crick, we call it the Crick, at the wine. I mean, it's always bigger than wine. It's always been bigger than wine for me. Um, yeah. I use my kids who are 13 and 11 um, up until 2016, they only knew a black president, right? You know? So imagine what that representation is going to do for their lives, you know, going forward. So yes, we have to talk about this mm-hmm. and I love being able to use wine as the tool.
0: Yeah. The and, I know, the and I know at first you said you did this because kind of this rebel spirit, you know, being from um, immigrant parents. My mom immigrated from Mexico and I feel that pressure like to do something, right? It's like, hey, you didn't, right. get, you didn't get this because you need to <laughs> prove, hey, uh, this isn't. So, I get that, but taking on that role from shifting, it's like, I need the story to tell the story of me being the first black winemaker in Oregon. That is that something you sound like you're a little resistant to at first because you, you were doing this more for yourself? Um, oh, of course.
1: Def- yeah. Definitely resistant at first and the fears of being transparent yeah. you know you decide to open up and be out there now you gotta own that you know and and um mostly it was me with that decision of changing it but what really turned it comfortable to where now i speak about it 24 7 was actually um my coach that i hired uh, his name is Eldris broussard and i was again at that point where i could have hired a mentor to make me a better winemaker but I decided to hire a coach to make me a better me. You know, I do wear this entrepreneur hat. Yes, I will be the trailblazer. I will be the pioneer, you know, and it's just deciding to accept who I was and the role that I play, you know, at the end of the day, Um, everyone isn't built for that. But I decided again, this is the life I wanted to live and this is what I was going to do. And being that example, for my father, my parents, my my legacy, the Haitian culture, I could do more with this, wearing this hat, yeah, you know, and being a doctor, a lawyer, engineer, you know, the typical. If you're not one of those, you're a failure to the family, you know. <laughs> totally.
0: Well, what's the future of uh, of your your winery, and maybe thoughts on if if things are going to change how people consume wine with coronavirus. I know I've been drinking a lot more just because I've been home <laughs> <laughs> and I got two little kids and I need you go. With help for me. But yeah, we'd love to hear what's uh, what's next for you in the winery.
1: Well, the future of Abbey Creek and always our goal is to change the world by changing the game, you know, and um, you always here. And, and I know some people might um, dismiss the idea of, you know, living your best life, doing it for you and assuming that the style of business that I run doesn't equate to success. I've been in the black the past six years. We're actually opening up our second location, downtown Portland, you know, 10th person that opens up in a month. Um, so I started my brand in 2008 back in the day during recession and crisis and all of these other things. Yeah. So plan for Abbey Creek is to, to keep opening up these doors and, and again, showing by, um, What's the word? Uh, Shown by actually doing it, you know. At the end of the day, and representation. Um, so two locations. Um, we're actually thinking, and instead of, I again, the thing about the idea when people hear wine, it was first question you get is, well, how many cases do you produce? Mm. People measure your success because of case production. Yeah. Uh, Me is about how many cases I sell. It, <laughs> and, yeah. And, I sell out every vintage. We're doing about 2,500 cases. And my uh, idea for growth in the sense of production is to just keep opening up more locations as opposed to trying to find distributorship or restaurants or grocery stores, et cetera. And I want to show entrepreneurs, again, once you own your brand, you know, numbers don't matter at the end of the day. You can go ahead and keep growing. We're looking at potentially opening up another location in Seattle. Awesome. You know, and possibly on the East Coast, Atlanta, um, and just showing folks you can live your best life for you, still be successful in the same route. Yeah. You know, I'm a keynote speaker now. So I've been, uh, you know, traveling and speaking and, and, you know, trying to show folks um, or at least teach them don't wait for the tragedy. Don't wait for that rock bottom moment to take that leap of passion, you know, Business tells us what, you know, find the niche yeah. and then do what you love and then let's work on getting you paid doing that. Yeah,
0: I you love know? that. Well, as, yeah. we, as we kind of close, I always like to ask about just doing business here in Portland and Oregon. How is it? What are some great things about, you know, having a business here, but what are some challenges about our well, city? Well, of course, sales?
1: I mean, yeah, the, the number one, we're going, you know, whitest city in America. Yeah. I, we know that. But um, where else can I be the most impactful? You know, is in a place where you don't expect me to be? If I was, if I started this in Atlanta, Chicago, would I still be changing the world like we're doing now? Probably not, you know. So everything that we see as a negative or a challenge, to me, that's also my strength and my positive. Um, I don't know if you know where North Plains is. It's right yeah. outside of Hillsborough. Oh, yeah. Central Coors Light like Town, we yeah. got a bar for everybody. In the church for every bar, which is four. Um, People always ask me, why North Plains? Well, shit, why not? You know, why wine country? You know, no, I was able to buy the building. I'm the hottest thing in town. I'm right off the freeway. You know, we bring almost 200 people into North Plains every weekend. Yeah. You know, I would have never ventured in here. You know, so all of those negatives, you know, that Oregon, you know, provides to me, those are my pluses. Those are my my level up, you know, points, you know, at the end. Of it. But another major positive about businesses in Portland is like we talked about earlier, um, that maker sort of mindset that, OK, you're not too crazy for, yeah. for trying to do something off the wall. Yeah. Um, I think it's, great. it's a great that acceptance of that. You know, the Stephen Greens, the Mitch Doherty's, all of those type of folks that actually, nah, okay, we'll help you go ahead and get you know, started with that. Right. Um, that's what makes to me Portland so great. And then the other idea, and I, I know we're trying to wrap, because Portland is a small city, you can actually have these relationships with principals and owners. And yeah. where, again, larger cities, there's so many layers and levels. But you know, I can I can call Lou Fredericks. You know, I can these mm-hmm. you know all of these you know principal folks are easy to connect to and build relationships.
0: I love. I mean, that's the thing I find so special here is everybody's willing to to have a conversation. You know, meet or talk, hop on the phone, and that, yes. I hope that doesn't go away. You know, as we grow. Yeah. No.
1: Indeed. Indeed.
0: So, well, Tony, thanks so much. You know, uh, I'm looking forward oh, to meeting. My pleasure, meet, Dan. Yeah, I'm looking forward to meeting in person and heading to the winery. So let's do that sooner than later once we get through this, too. we
1: Will do, my man.
0: All right. Thanks so much. All right, sir. The PDX Executive Podcast is a production of That Cast, a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at ThatCast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well.